Hi everyone. Happy December, first of all. Believe that. Can't believe it's coming to the end of the year. Um, excited for another episode of Demandism. We're gonna actually look back on 2022 um, and provide some of our key lessons and learnings that we've had throughout the year. We've been doing a lot of retrospectives as we've been going through the whole planning process and budgeting and forecasting. And so we thought, why not? share them all with you guys and hopefully you'll find them interesting um, and can take some insights away as well so as always please do um, speak to us in the chat send in your questions and we'll keep it really interactive um, and yeah without further ado we will get going cool so just a quick intro in case you're first time demanders and listeners who are the rest of the people on the panel we've got Liam who's global head um, of demand generation and we've got Fran who is our head of demand generation so literally got three DG um, people here hoping to yeah distill some insights today welcome guys hi, hi. <laughs> all right yeah you're there you came on <laughs> Okay, let's get going. So I guess like where we've come from, it's always good to do a bit of a retrospective, look back on like like where have we come from and hopefully give you guys some confidence that you're in good hands when it comes to taking any advice that we share um, on, yeah, on our learnings across the year. So um, for anyone who doesn't, hasn't really been following the Cognizant journey from kind of lead gen into demand gen, this is how it's looked over the last 12 months. We began implementing demand generation probably in like it was around October last year where we started making the first sort of shifts, but we weren't full, like fully fledged demand gen. Um, and then actually it was in March of this year where we we really made the decision. That's it. No more MQLs, no more content needs. We're turning off the tap on that and we're going all in on demand generation. That was in March time. Um, and actually what you can see, and I think this is like, this is really, really good correlation in terms of understanding, like, has this worked? Like, what's the impact being have? Was our hypothesis of we don't actually need these MQ, content MQLs to make up for that revenue gap that we're going to lose on the content side, and we can actually create more of these direct declared intent demand demo requests through allocating that budget into other initiatives? And the answer was yes. Like, you can see that really clearly on this chart. Um, yeah, I think I think there's like. There's, there's a tiny dip towards the end of November, but that's actually just because we're getting more efficient and that, and you know, there are other factors at play like, um, you know, cost per, well, CPL or leads volume is not always the best thing to be measuring, but in terms of an early indicator of success, like we've seen that velocity massively increase, um, literally in line with our journey through this demand gen approach. So um, that's kind of the, the last 12 month picture, which is really pleasing to see. And then more importantly, like how does that actually translate into things that really matter pipeline um and we can see it here like this is the, the global view um across the quarters and then also this is you can see a real staircasing happening when you look at it from a monthly perspective so i'd say key takeaways here when you're trying to deep dive like is this new approach having an impact on your revenue and your pipeline numbers if you're a quarterly business where your reps are targeted in quarters you're probably going to have this staircasing so you won't it won't look like it's just a nice line chart that happens on the on the global top graph where it's like quarterly view you're going to have more of a staircasing effect on the monthly view but you really should be taking this like across the quarters that as we can see that chart looks really healthy as well um we're actually already at q2 pipeline for q4 and we still got a whole month to go and december is always our best month across the whole year so very confident that q4 is going to be like closing out incredibly strongly 
and really put a, like a solid end to this whole year and our whole um, yeah progress against Man Gen. I think also important to call out the dip in Q2. Don't panic. This happened to us. We, as I said, we just switched off lead, like lead gen content MQLs, and suddenly we had a dip, and it was like, oh my gosh, okay. But you have to, you have to stay the course. You have to stay positive, um, and you because you can see that velocity in the direct declared intent inbounds. You know that your early signs are actually positive, so that gives you confidence to stay the course. But just be aware that this could happen at you know at the beginning. But then you can see that velocity velocity taking off, which wouldn't happen if we'd kept on going through the old MQL hamster wheel. So that is where we came, where we've come from, the success that this we've had through this this year. Um, so like, I guess, how did we do it? Like, it's all very well showcasing the numbers and showing the, the nice charts, but how can you actually kind of take the steps to do this? And like, what are the biggest learnings that we've had from it that you can take away and start implementing? So this is like a massive one. And I think going into 23, it's really important that people Kind of up level their content to the to the next level and this is about creating content for the channel so i think we had a really good con well i think for our stage we had a really good content engine to begin with and we were very good at repurposing content so we would take we would have a demand as an episode like this um and then as a matter of course we'd have a checklist of what we would do post that event which would be um taking clips straight from that demand as content that would then get added into the paid into our paid social, and we'll talk about how that would be structured, like how that used to be structured um, back in the day, and then how it's structured today. But that, but there was much less thought about it, um, and there was much less thought about where that content sat within like an overall narrative or levels of, um, yeah, like content content levels as well. Um, and also, ultimately, the worst thing about it was it wasn't tailored for the channel. So it's not a great viewing experience. There were like some of our heads bobbing around, and then slides. Um, and yeah, we basically weren't getting the most value from that content. So we, while we were doing a good job of like getting lots of different pieces of content out there and taking some of our best performing content and like reusing it, we weren't really doing as good a job as we could do. And we were aware of this. So what have we now done? Like, how have we pivoted? And, and then we're really going to double down on this going into next year. So we still grab the best snippets from a live like this, but we re-record them for the specific channels, which is really important. So go away slides, just like talking head um, video, clear subtitles. And then we really tailor the creative around the channel and we create a much better experience for the viewer. So this means that like that zero click content, um, maximum consumption engagement from our audience, all of these things happen. And we've seen huge increases in metrics across the board around this by taking this new approach. So we know it's definitely the way to go. And it's something that we're going to be doubling down on next year. And um, yeah, kind of wish we knew when we'd focused on at the beginning, but we still, I think you, you learn and you develop and we, we've got a lot out there and now we just have a much more refined process and much more structure around it and ultimately better results, which is what we want. So, um, and also I think this is a really good, important reminder that this isn't just about our paid social example, like content repurposing across channels is actually the really, well, I'd say it's not, it's probably not quite becoming the norm yet in B2B marketing, but if you want to get the edge and stay ahead of your competition and be like pushing the boundaries of what great looks like, then you do need to tailor your approach to every channel. It's not one size fits all. So really understand what works on the channels that are important to you and where your audience are hanging out and then make sure that you're creating content in that format for them. It takes a bit more work, but ultimately it's really worth 
like the juice is worth the squeeze. Cool, so enough of me, I'm gonna hand over to you, Liam. Um, and this is all about how we've restructured our paid accounts. Yep. Um, hi, everyone. Um, so when we obviously started off and moved into this um, sort of demand generation uh, strategy back in uh, October last year is when we really started sort of like um, planning it out and, and, act, and acting on it. Um, we had to like, we, we had to start by ungating everything, but um, slowly you realize that you can't just really just go into your ad accounts and just ungate all the content that you've got that we were running for lead gen and that sort of work in the demand um, in the demand gen way. Um, you've kind of got to restructure everything that you've done um, and and like rethink your approach right down from uh, I suppose not like all the content that you're putting out there um, uh, and like exactly what content and who you're and like at what point you're targeting everyone as well. So we, when we were running like a lead gen um, strategy, we had everything split out um, uh, on geography. And then actually what we would do is for a lot of the lead gen ads, we would actually just break it down on like popular, um, popular sort of pieces of content because we'd obviously just writing these sort of eBooks uh, and written uh, content as well. So we'd have like a whole campaign on LinkedIn about uh, cold calling with loads of cold calling um, white papers and ebooks. We'd have a hot or like, or like objection handling in there. And then we'd have some on cadences. Um, and we would, or like for, then we'd have like a few different ones on marketing as well. So it might be like uh, being data driven or another set on like ABM. Um, but actually, when we realized, when we sort of ungated everything, one, we realized that, well, you can't just like set, put out everything as, um, like ebooks again we need to sort of like diversify the content so then we were supposed to have then we needed to have campaigns based on like with video we also wanted like carousel ads we also wanted like um uh uh like static ads and stuff so all of that had to change um and then also at the beginning we hadn't like fully transitioned away from lead gen so we had some we had some which we would then be ungated which we'd call our awareness campaigns then we'd have like these lead generation campaigns um, still running. And then we'd have what also underneath what we'd have like our performance campaign, which is like stuff that's like, we're directly asking for a, a demo. Um, and at first as well, we we were, as we sort of switched this over, we didn't serve everything to the entire um, audience at once. We, you know, we thought like, oh, we'll restructure our content. So we have like top of funnel, middle of funnel, bottom of funnel, and then everyone who watch it, who engages with top of funnel will retarget with middle of funnel. And then everyone who engages that will retarget with bottom funnel. But then we kind of realized that, you know, you can't have, um, we, you, no one knows what anyone really is in the buying cycle. So we're actually limiting our content by doing that. Um, and, you know, people who have seen, uh, who's to say just because they've engaged with a top of funnel ad that they're now ready to see middle of funnel, but also who's to say that they're not ready to see bottom of funnel at any one time. So all of this, we sort of had to, we had to rethink um, and we all had to, so it's like for, to start, we just had to think about all of the new content we needed to create, whether that's like um, doing more video carousels, um, other web-based like content pushing to ungated blogs and how we can level up the, the blogs as well. So like they're not just text and we've got video in them um, and sort of move away from just promoting eBooks and also plan about how we could reach all of our ICP at once. So that means all the decision makers, all of the inter 
individual contributors and what content we could create for each of those different types of personas. So it's like a big load of work um, that we needed to do on the accounts. Um, on top of that, we didn't want to make it too complicated because me talking about this now, it just sounds extremely complicated and that's how, and it can easily become so. So we need to feel like a simple structure that would allow us to fulfill all these needs um, but at the same time um, was something that was manageable and we weren't just going to be completely bogged down. Um, so therefore our old version of what we did where we based campaigns based on the type of content would have just got absolutely hectic as we made more and more of it. So what did we do? We um, moved into what, well, we started by creating buckets really. Um, so there are five main types of buckets um, that um, we have, and they sit across um, regions and uh, personas. So well, our account will be broken down into, for example, for us, UK, US, DAC. Um, and then within that, you've got sales, marketing, um, and we started to do some um, like work as well with uh, RevOps. And then each of those personas then broken down into your individual contributors versus your decision makers. And then we have buckets across those. So uh, thought leadership um, is uh, as it is, like all of the next like um, thought leadership in that space, like, you know, real point of view about where we're going, where we're moving, um, uh, top level stuff that's sort of like the guiding conversation and maybe marketing ourselves. Um, and that that bucket is like primarily with the objective of reach, although you could have it for um, an objective traffic as well. It does depend on the content that you're putting out. Um, but I, so, I just um, on, on that yeah. one, I think it's quite interesting to talk about. So we've had that thought leadership, um, which is why the diagram is a bit outdated, because we literally just had, didn't we have this leadership off, off site the other day? And we just got stuck on this. We were like, why is thought leadership only reach? And we were like, and we realized that what happened is we were overinflating the amount of content that went into the content bucket because that content was suited to a traffic objective because it was driving people to a destination. And so that meant that even though the topic was much more suited to a thought leadership piece, it was being chucked into content and then our content like being inflated and thought leadership was kind of underperforming and didn't have much in it. So we've we've altered that. We've said, okay, like we're going to try this. We're actually going to have the option for the demand gen pods to be able to brief in um, ads for paid social, which are ship traffic, if that is how the content is meant to be consumed. And so it comes back to this mindset of like it's not we don't just we, like we don't ever want to just be doing this because that's how it how it how it's done. We want to be doing it because that's what makes sense for the consumption of that content. It's going to match that content's engagement with the audience so I think that's just like if you're looking at this and you're like why that was one thing where we really thought through that process and kind of made a change mm -hmm. exactly and you've got these buckets for a reason right because each different type of content provides like um your buyer with like different information that they they'll need so um you don't want to like limit yourself that thought leadership content and then needs to all be video so that you've got reach or it's all got to be able to exist in an, an ad that they can view in feed because you're not going to use uh, the traffic objective where they might go to a longer form piece on um, on your website. Um, and then content is like further removed than thought leadership because it's, it's closer to your product. So it's more like a dotted line. So like here, for example, we put um, lots of like, we have lots of things about cold calling, which is a very, like, you know, you can get lots of direct dials in, Cognizant, we have that that whole topic as like a dotted line to our product. It's much more practical 
um, and really helpful to to like uh, to the audience um, and less sort of top level um, and overarching. And then we have uh, social proof um, and product value. So product value is like all of the bottom of funnel content about your product and exactly what your product does. And we push this out through uh, like quite often a reach objective. Um, so people can consume information about our products in feed, and then we can remarket to the people that interact. So this gives us an, a new layer of a way of like increasing frequency and meeting um, these people who are interested in the product. And social proof runs on the same sort of premise, but providing uh, social proof about the products and think we always thought, and I've said like, as B2C do social proof really well, uh, you don't get the same always in B2B, but you know, people buy from others and they want to know uh, whether a vendor, whether a vendor is good up front um, and they trust uh, other consumers and people in their community. So pushing out social proof is a great way of achieving that. And then we have what our traditional performance uh, campaigns uh, that are based, that are based around like obviously getting a demo, but we, We've mixed this up. We've got loads of different ways that we go and achieve that and actually provide value in feed. So probably if you follow us and be me targets, you've probably seen some of our videos where we're talking to camera and explaining a little bit about the product at the same time as um, you know, people coming through, like offering the chance to get a demo for us as well. Um, so then that's basically how we split it out. And now when we think about everything that we're doing in activity, we can think about these buckets and and how we're going to populate them. Um and which content will go where, um, and what you know, what we need to when we come to analyzing the account as well, we can break down to the buckets and have a look, look exactly what's, um, um, yeah, like which bits are struggling and what bits we need more content for. So it gives us a real clear structure of, of how to run it, essentially. Amazing, cool. Now on to, um, I'm just going to answer those questions in the chat. Mm -hmm. Easier to address them there, um, but lesson three with with Fram, which is testing new ideas and experiments. This is this is a good section. There's a lot in here to unpack. So Did you want to answer yeah. questions, or are you going to do it in chat? I'm just going to do it in chat because I think it's probably easier. Okay, I was thinking CPM could be frequency as well, but I can. I'll write something a little um, so I will dive into our lesson three, so testing new ideas and experiments. So um, something that we talked a lot about doing this year, um, and we finally got around to it, um, was a direct mail campaign. So um, we found it was a great way to amplify your message. Now, I think this is something that everyone can agree, like really falls, um, can often fall to the bottom of the list and be can become... Um, something that's deprioritized over um, those always on actions that marketers do. So for us, we really wanted to think of a way to activate our message in a different way. Um, we decided to prioritize this um, because it was just giving another voice on like sharing our voice, amplifying our voice, like on a different channel. So I guess for us, the important thing was that I've, I mean, I know I, as a marketer, I've sent direct mails out in the past and they haven't really had a lot of meaning behind them. So the important thing for us was that this was tied into a message. This was tied into a campaign um, and a narrative that we were already um, putting out there. So for us, we um, we gave our audience an opportunity to claim a free T-shirt, which was tied um, very closely into our B2B marketing doesn't have to be boring campaign. Um, and then we invited our audience to share this across social um, and then they'd enter in, into a competition. So the fact that it was tied like into that strong narrative already um, ensured that it resonated. And we had a lot of other assets as well that were already built around it. I think you know, what we saw is we had so much engagement around this particular campaign and it was the opportunity um, for our message to be amplified on social because we were asking um, those who participated to share it. So we'd say that like 
this is something that we want to double down on next year, like focusing on other ways to action, um, use different channels to kind of action these these campaigns that we're running. So has been very effective. But yeah, the one takeaway for us is it's definitely had to tie back into something, um, tie back into a campaign, um, align with your business, align with the narrative that you've currently got at the moment. Um, I think um, that I was talking to our CEO at an event last week and he like receives things in the mail all the time but like it might just be a cupcake or something with no meaning and it's not overly memorable but the ones that have really packed a punch are the ones that um directly tie into pain points or narratives and um yeah key campaign messages so that's one um idea that we've tested uh secondly so um we were test. We really wanted to focus on testing a strong point of view in our campaigns. So we wanted to think of stories that resonated with our core persona and launch something that had a strong narrative throughout. Um, the reason for this is because we didn't just kind of want to put loads of content out there and kind of spray and pray and, and just hope that um, the message would stick. We really wanted to think about um, telling, you know, a story that resonated, but something that had like a clear creative direction. So it stood out. Um, it's present not just on paid social, but on multiple channels. So for our B2B Boring campaign, um, that was another um, reason why we did the T-shirt, like the direct mail T-shirt campaign, because we wanted to activate the message across different channels other than paid social. Um, but then it did tie back into that because um, the people who entered the competition did share um um, share their story on on LinkedIn afterwards. Um, also, I think we wanted to explore different content formats as well. So we focused a lot more, like you can see the video here um, of Alice, like we focused more on higher quality videos. We looked at different um, ways to approach our ads, like different ways in which we could be creative, like with the things that we're putting out there. And also on top of that, like Liam has spoken about our content buckets that we have um, running so we've got the content the thought leadership the product and the social proof so here it's really important that um we were producing content that aligned with those themes and like aligned with those buckets so we weren't just creating um one type of content throughout the campaign um for us that's been really successful not only in the results so um it's driven to so one of the campaigns that we spent a lot of time on was the B2B Boring campaign and having the strong point of view around this. Um, it's not only driven like pipeline and revenue, but essentially the qualitative feedback as well that we've had from it has been like really strong. We've had great feedback on um, the creative and how the creative is standing out um, and also just in general um, how much is resonated with the audience. So it's definitely makes sense to take that time um, to do your research and think of something that will absolutely resonate. Um, another idea is the influencer ads. So um, I think we've, we've shared about this quite a bit, but um, it's been, yeah, they've been our best performing content ads ever. So the click through rates, engagement rates were absolutely off the charts. Um, we're a bit nervous, I guess, about doing it at first because it is a native um, screenshot. We didn't want to be seen to like tricking anyone. Um, but actually what we found is it, it worked really well for providing this like top of funnel like value in the demand gen engine and actually the large majority of feedback that we got from it was um people were really um excited by it because it's something that they hadn't seen in feed before and they were you know it was kind of like a clever way to i guess to um catch people's attention almost um but it did have that paid budget behind it um so yeah so ads as it as i like we've written here like ads that look 
don't look like ads often work the best. And we've certainly found this. So I would suggest um, people definitely give it a try. I think recommendations are that we do have to have that really strong hook um, and it has to be really value-led. Um, so yeah, that's, that's something that um, I would say has definitely stopped the scroll um, in feed. And then Liam did a fabulous presentation last weekend at Venn on how we're using subject matter experts. So I'm gonna let him um, take over and just do these last couple of slides. Yeah, sure. So I think uh, something that's been like a massive success yesterday that we just weren't really doing um, last year at all um, is making use of influencers. Um, and that's both uh, people that are external to Cognizant that we have uh, we work on a contract basis with um, as an influencer and then building our own personal profiles uh, within Cognizant and, and raising people within the business um, to make influencers out of them as well. So I think uh, to create uh, an influencer or what is an influencer in B2B is you need to have uh, one, the following. So that's the personal brand element. Um, and two, um, you've got to have the um, the subject matter expert element. And one or the other isn't an, uh, an influencer. If you've just got a huge personal brand, but you've got no, but you're not really a subject matter expert or anything, you're you're just a celebrity. Um, so that you know that will that will happen. You'll get something out of that. You'll get some reach out of it. And if you've got the subject matter expert without the following, uh, then yeah, you're probably a traditional subject matter expert who's contributing to blogs and just on a few webinars, but you're not creating a community around who you are. Um, so to create an influencer, you need both of those two things. And I think that's where you can really start to move the needle and make a difference um, in the content you put out. So um, what I, and in that, I'd say like, and I've written here, influence therefore provide you, if they have those two things with um, authority to your authority to your content, um, a lot of content, um, in B2B kind of sucks because it's it's been just written by um, a content marketer out there, but they don't maybe necessarily have much of authority on the on the topic themselves. It just they're just writing and producing the content. Not to say that it's not going to be well written, but people uh, want to listen from people that they uh, respect and and believe and and have like some sort of um, you know like admiration for a good uh, a good influencer should have a unique point of view as well. So um, they should be able to. Uh, present that and people like that predictable people know what they'll say to something they know what they think they know what they believe um this is, this is what helps like build a following um they'll also deliver the content in easy consumable formats um and be sort of interested in like creating different types of content not just maybe like con contributing um in the back end like uh i'll have like a ghost writer or, like write for them or something like that um a good a good influencer will be producing like video and all this sort of stuff and then they will interact with your audience as well, um, creating like sort of like a human face to your brand. So like, um, if you think like, um, for example, uh, Chris Walker at Fine Labs, like he goes around and he actually, he's constantly interacting with the audience on LinkedIn as well. Um, and, and that's part of it. So it's like that they will, they are directly con contactable, directly easy to reach out to and speak about anything that people are interested in, but also potentially relating to your brand as well. And in all of that and doing all of that, they then act as a catalyst on dark social, right? So people maybe start tagging them for their opinion, um, asking them about certain things or like referencing them on social um, in different, um, on different threads and channels. So 
Ryan, straight ahead with the cap on. Uh, he was our, um, he's been influencing for us for this entire year. Um, and like I said, like, obviously we've built up um, our own profiles, for example. We've, we've got Dave in, um, our, who heads up our sales development team. We've been building up his profile. We've been building up our own profiles here for the marketing persona. But Ryan is a um, self-professed uh, lifetime SDR who loves cold calling, um, doesn't work for Cognizant. He uh, runs his own uh, business and is a um, author as well. But what we have done is we've worked with Ryan and contracted with him to get out um, for him to become a subject matter expert and influence for Cognizant and promote us as well with all of his expertise at the same time. So I will go into exactly what that looks like. So, oh, this jumps, sorry. Um, so I might be of interest to people then. So what do we mean by like contracting like an external person to be like an influence for us? Um, so you can actually get it like down into what we do is, is to discuss this um, is to have different, like literally itemize some of the activity that we want to achieve and have. Um, so that you can have that in the agreement right down to um, like YouTube series, webinars, video snippets, uh, whether they host a podcast, which Ryan does for us as well, like how many blogs they should contribute for, like if they can turn up to events, newsletters, whether they write for those, which Ryan does for us as well, um, and like how many posts we can get out for either their channel, whether they're happy to, to for us to like hijack, take over the channel and, and post with them as well, which we've had like varying levels of access um, to Ryan's channel as we have over this um over this year um and then like uh whether like and then whether they like you know announce their relationship with us as well and have like uh wear all the merch and stuff like that and you can detail all of this down so that you have like a set number of deliverables that you want to achieve with them each month and then quarter um to really sort of like push and scale that that sme um or that that influencer content um i think obviously you can work with people you can get subject matter experts on your webinars and content and stuff and you work people for free but one of the the keys to making this work is volume and scale and producing enough content um with them that you can actually you can actually make it uh, you can actually grow it um and i think the only way to get that to work is to just to really like hone that down to what that activity looks like and having like an agreed output uh between you obviously we've scaled this further now uh we work with uh morgan ingram as well which you might have seen um, we do a huge amount of content with him, uh, which has been great. We've also got uh, Gatano Donati on the um, marketing side, who's been working with us as well. So you can you can like can continue to grow and expand it because, after all, some th these won't last forever. These agreements won't last forever. Um, sometimes you might find that they then want to leave uh, and move on. So you need to find new new avenues for creating this content, but all is not lost if people leave um, because you would have had all this content that you've created over time, which is actually the most valuable thing. Um, also, you would have been able to influence their community, which they absolutely, um, which absolutely love them for like as, as long a period of time as you're working with them to really like push out your brand. So um, yeah, it's not really, whether they leave or not, it's not really an issue, uh, but you do want to have always have someone out there to help um, influence the audience um, and provide that content for you. So I think then I hand back over. Yeah, I'm gonna pop us on to Fran who has been spearheading pretty exciting stuff that we're doing on the, the content side of things. I know there's been a few questions about it in chat. So this is now the time to get your answers. So I'll hand over to Fran. 
Great. Um, right, well, I hope I can answer everything. Maybe start with the problem we were trying to solve with this. I think that's quite interesting, because I'm sure it will be familiar with a lot of people, that problem. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, so I guess for us, we um, made the demand gen shift, and we were investing a lot in um, the demand gen team and kind of, like, where we were going to go with it. Um, the biggest, like, one of the biggest pain points um, for me especially was content. So we had a lot of content. Um a lot of um, blog posts, we'd started doing live episodes, but we kind of weren't really sure what demand gen content really meant. Um, we didn't know what it meant to us. We didn't know kind of what to do with it um, in regards to how we'd structure it. So I think you'll probably remember anyone who is um, an avid listener is we spoke quite a lot about um, it was really important to have content um, execs who sit on the demand gen team. So we made that switch and we got um, some great uh, content execs to sit um, on the team that I was heading up. Now it was fine. And we, we would, what we found we were doing is just kind of just doing what we'd always done and just start writing blog posts like every week. And we had a few videos layered on top. So it was clear that we had a problem. And the problem was what, um, what does it mean to um, be like a content executive on a demand gen team within this new demand gen strategy. So that is something that we've been trying to work out and we've we've made some good progress. So I'm gonna share that with you guys now. Um, we have actually been working with Abed uh, Durrani and, and Todd Clouser. I think you guys probably have heard of them before and, and we've worked working closely with them right now to help us to put in um, a real framework um, that we could stick to so we can actually execute on content, like effective content, but actually do that at scale. So our, this is our focus for 2023. Um, please drop your questions in the chat and you will, I'm sure we've got time to answer them at the end anyway. Um, so we've kind of put this structure together and, and worked with Todd and Abed on this. So we've, we've split it up into three different types. So we now understand that there are three types of content that you can put out in this demand gen framework. So type one, um, we refer to as insightful substance. So an example of that could be me um, talking to camera um, and giving some actionable insights and that going on LinkedIn. So basically like a talking head video. Um, and we've got loads of that and you've probably seen loads of that around. Um, type two is insightful substance. So again, like being um, providing this like really actionable advice, but actually delivered through an interesting format. So an example of type two could be um, we've, we did a um, paid swipe file. So we did a paid ad swipe file, um, which consisted of all our best performing uh, paid ads. So the insightful substance is it explains every single bucket. So exactly how it's set up, exactly how it works and shows the performance of the ads and the best creatives. And the interesting format is actually the Trello swipe file. So instead of putting it on a landing page or putting it like, I don't know, in a PDF or something like that, or talking through it on a video, we actually, um, ended up coming up with something that was a little bit more engaging. So that was, for us, that's a type two, right? So it's insightful, but it's in an interesting format. And then there's type three, which um, is insightful substance delivered through an interesting format, but also built on an entertaining concept. So that's a bit of a mouthful, but um, the entertaining concept is really, it's this um, thinking about your content from a bottom up evangelistic kind of way. So we want to, like people to, we want to be memorable and we want our audience to engage with us. Um, but it could be to be in a really entertaining and funny way. And we don't want to be scared to like push the boundaries. So here, I don't know, um, 
if you guys have seen, but it could be sort of like, say, Todd Clouser does a lot of B2B marketing skits. Um, Lavender Joe um, is a great um, example of doing these like adverts, um, which are just really kind of um, a bit more like experiential, that like they're really entertaining, but they're still important and they, um, well, they're still informative and they still have a dotted line back to the product and back to exactly what they do. So, um, yeah, they're the three, they're the three types. Um, and I guess as well, we have to really think about sort of the, the work required versus like, you know, like the payoff at the end. So it's really important um, to prioritize these. Um, so for example, we know we have a lot of type one, we know we want to double down and invest in type two and type three next year. Um, but you have to be really strong on, um, sometimes the team have loads of amazing ideas, but you can't action them all at once. So you have to pick the best ideas, double down on it and really think about which idea is going to pay off the most. Or you have um, an annoying CMO. Or you have an annoying CMO who, <laughs> <laughs> who sends you ideas all the time and wants them done the next day. I'm on no. a ban, aren't I? I'm on a ban until Q. I'm just kidding, but you... Um, <laughs> You do actually, have, all the ideas are great, which is the most annoying thing because we can't action them all at once. But yeah, no, we love that. So um, lots of ideation around that. Um, so yeah, we're kind of, um, this is the stage we're at. Um, I think Alice is going to go more into, on the next few slides around just the, what we mean by a point of view and how this kind of looks from a more strategic point of view. However, we do have, we do have a sneak peek of uh, our type three piece of content and we'd love feedback on it. So this type three, so remember type three is informative and it's in an interesting way, done in an interesting way and it's entertaining. So we've had to tick all of those pillars. Now, let's have a go, I'm gonna give it a How do we do this? Why the f is middle finger emoji at competitor.com making its way through making its way through to my sales team as an MQL. Have you ever been questioned by sales about the quality of your leads? That's because they don't know how to hit goal and you do. Ignore them. Let them complain. It's not your job to close deals. It's your job to provide phone numbers and email addresses. Do you get to spend three nights at the Four Seasons if they close your MQL? I didn't think so. I've been running marketing teams for 31 years, and I've developed a system for making even the most incompetent marketing teams appear effective. It's called Lead Gen, and in this course, I'm gonna show you how to get promoted as a marketer without ever driving any business results for your company. You will learn how to drive leads, regardless of their intent, or if they will ever close. You send us the same leads every week because they opened your email like it's some prize. I already told you, we called them several times and they're in a contract. You'll learn how to deny responsibility when questioned in front of leadership. The skills taught in this class could very well save your job. I'm the worst marketer in the world and this is Masterclass. Okay guys, so what do we think? I know sales are breathing down our necks at the moment. I really think this guy can help us out with lead volume. Um, so what do you think? Should we give him a go? It's not my problem if sales can close. Let's do it. But it was his problem. Two months after implementing what he learned in this masterclass, Liam was brought in front of the executive leadership team to explain why none of marketing's leads were closing 
After trying to place the blame on Sale's ability to close, Liam was fired and is now suing the worst marketer in the world for false advertising. Janie became the first marketer in company history to be put on a pip for recommending the plan and has now been moved into an SDR role where he has to call every marketing lead from the past six months. He has yet to set a meeting. I guess I guess we didn't give much context around that so for the context um so as part of our narrative around making the shift from lead gen to demand gen and um all fits in with our story around b2b marketing doesn't have to be boring and that marketers should be moving away from this um approach of like collecting leads so this was our stab at type three so <laughs> all feedback's welcome because we haven't done this before so um and you'll be seeing it on socials a lot very this soon. Is, um, this is my farewell demandism, guys. So uh, I was going to say, yeah, Liam, Liam, Liam's off after this. <laughs> <laughs> Jamie is, yeah, out cold calling. <laughs> cool, amazing. Um, now, this is the bit I think like some of you are interested in as well, because you've been mentioning it in the chat. So it's like, okay, how many of these strategic narratives and unique point of views should you have? Um, and how should you build it out? So this is like a really, really useful framework um, and one that we've been working on going, well, we're kind of working on right now, affirming it up um, in Q4, but we'll really be rolling it out early next year. So um, there's big, we're just having a big focus on creating a strategic narrative. There's one strategic narrative that actually binds together all of our content and messaging across all of the personas that we target. Um, so right now we really focus on sales and marketing, but we are also going to be expanding out into the op side of things. And again, this one strategic narrative will just sit across all of those. Um, and so how, how are we going to do this? So we're, we're, in, we're basically, we started off by really trying to identify a relevant shift that's happening in the world of like B2B marketing and sales, so revenue. Um, and then we want to take a point of view on that, um, about what's needed to win in that shift. Um, and then we're going to be building out the content topics and messaging around these point of views. So the beauty of this is that we already had like quite a lot of what we call these sparks that sit under these unique point of views as like content ideas or individual content assets. But we had no like structural framework for ideating and producing more and more of these in a structured way and a process um, and that in a way that also tied back to one strategic narrative and unique point of view. And it wasn't like a clear thread. So we, while we were very good at a lot of Sparks content, I guess, we didn't have the other two layers to this, which have really, really, really helped us when it comes to planning out um, and creating a process around this continual content delivery. And that was like this huge blocker that we had with things. Um, so yeah, I think, and then a really important thing as well, the narrative should fuel a need that has a dotted line back to what we do as a business and, and sales intelligence that's important so you need to be thinking about that when you're building that strategic narrative but yeah so ultimately this has been a real unlock for us when it comes to structuring that content piece and this is how we how we're looking at it going into 23 and we'll we'll share more on it as well um in demandism episodes in 23 as we build it out so what are other lessons that we learned i thought i would like and what are we looking for at, into 2023 so we've now got to a point where we're running this new paid ad social structure on LinkedIn. But again, with this, like, and, and this is a really important thing that you need to remember that with like this whole shift into demand generation, 
There is no one dashboard, there is no one report that will show you whether you're being successful. You need to get comfortable looking at lots of different reports, lots of different dashboards, lots of different metrics and drawing conclusions. And yes, you want to see correlations in the top line um, goals, which are pipeline revenue, direct declared intent inbounds, but there's a lot underneath it that you need as early leading indicators to see if you're being successful. So under the hood of our paid social stuff was like, okay, we're running all this stuff on LinkedIn. We've got these new buckets. We feel like we're like doing, we're leveling up our content, but like, what is the driving process and thought behind like when we should be updating those buckets, when not the team should be looking to refresh, add creative and copy like what is that process look like what yeah and how, and how do we create something that's like scalable for us going forward so we've been running this now for like six months we have enough data through our tracking that we can draw some conclusions on what the max frequency should be for a successful campaign and to look, give us the best metrics and also the maximum number of ads within that bucket to deliver the best metrics and so from there we've been able to set ourselves some guardrails these guardrails now inform a process around which we have created with the demand gen pod of like, this is when stuff needs refreshing. So if you're nearing that frequency cap or you have, you don't have enough ads in the bucket or the ads like pieces, you, you have too many ads in the bucket, then you're not meeting the key KPIs that we set. We, we know that are needed for us to be successful. And obviously we'll continue to review these metrics and see if they hold true. And if they alter, we'll change them. But for right now, like this is our kind of playbook on what's needed in each in each of the buckets. And that's a massive step forward for us going into 23. And now the process behind that by which like the content then gets refreshed, updated and created is the next step. So yeah, we'll be, we'll be working more on that in 23. You can see here, these are our benchmarks though, I'd say. So like, hopefully they might be interesting to you guys. There's just some, some benchmark, but just be wary that it's for our account and it's very much for our audiences. And then we have similar um, situation and from a reporting perspective is like, I, want, I wanted to get into a flow of like understanding what is the, con what's the, so the spark content that's really driving the best engagement um, and the best like interactions with our audiences. And we needed to get into a process of reporting on that like very regularly and then also using that to inform um, further sparks and content ideas within the new framework that we've produced. So again, a firmer playbook and, and on this reporting using our UTM analysis, our amazing new head, global head of paid runs this for us. And we, we have these deep dives into this type of insight to understand like what it is from that content spark perspective that's really resonating with our audience in each of the buckets. So we can see in marketing um, this whole topic of lead gen versus demand gen, which you guys might all be sick of hearing, um, is really popular. And then three years of scaling, which is kind of my this is a thought leadership piece. It's kind of me as a CMO, a first time CMO, scaling at the startup, um, well now scale up, like, and, and what my experiences have been. Um, and then we know that like G2 reviews are doing really well for us. And, and actually, interestingly, um, the ABM use case of all of the use cases of Cognizant marketers is the one that seems to be resonating the most. So that's the kind of insights that's super helpful and can inform how you go about the process of updating those buckets when you see that you're reaching those caps that you need um which inform you to go through that process if that makes sense um i have just waffled there so sorry about that and i think that is that's everything isn't it i can't believe that we've managed to get through a demandism and we have 10 minutes 10 minutes to go but we have it's almost like we're already halfway half a foot in the door for christmas 
Um, I think we probably have answered all your questions throughout. So again, obviously, if you have any that you want to answer now, pop them in the chat while we're here and you've got us. Otherwise, hopefully um, it was a good session. We'll be sharing the slides and recording as always. And don't forget there is a that Facebook group where you can access them probably e most easily and you can obviously search them and ask us further questions, etc. throughout. Um, but yeah, if not, I will let everyone go and take a bit more time back. Um, Sean, what's the size and structure of our team? So we, so from the Cognizant team size and the demand gen, Fran, maybe you go through your, 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 your demand gen team structure and size. Yeah, I can go through this. Um, so Cognizant size, uh, Cognizant size, Cognizant side of, um, so my team, we have, um, I head up the demand gen and then uh, we have two demand gen managers either side and they focus on our two core personas which are sales and marketing and then we have two marketing execs that sit with our demand gen managers and then we also have at the moment um just one content exec that sits on the sales side and we hope um next year to get another content exec that can sit on the marketing side so that's how we um approach it and i would say that structure um i i know that um it's not always possible um you know, teams in other companies could be a lot smaller, but I'd say really just having that focus on one core persona um, has been really valuable for us. Um, so and yeah. having that content person sit in that demand gen team, I think is the other big unlock. Um, yeah, definitely. Especially now we've got this framework, which I'm sure we're going to be talking a lot about next year. Yeah. yeah. And then do we write thought leadership content for your CEO, senior leaders for LinkedIn? If so, what's the process there? So not for the CEO, um, but to be honest, like it's not really, that's not really a core IC, like ICP buyer for us or like target. So that wouldn't really be something we would do. But when it comes to um, the content for Dave Bentham, who's, who is one of our SMEs within the org, what the way we approach it is to have interviews with him where the team will like ask him questions, present their ideas on content, like content that they think we could talk about, topics, and then just get Dave to chat. And then from there, they build the content off those. And so that means that it's like so easy for Dave. All he has to do is like take the content. If he wants to do a small edit, he can, and then he just has to go and post it. So you just want to make it as friction-free as possible. Yeah, I would say as well that you want to, the reason why you wouldn't want to just write it for them and not do a process where it's it's still their knowledge is it just won't be authentic and like um authenticity is the biggest thing that will like make a post win or create a profile on linkedin people will see through straight away if it's just someone else speaking for them yeah definitely um i think we've actually we've put that dg content um role is on the facebook group so search that or look for the, it in the documents on the Facebook group. If, and if you're not already part of it, go to Demandism and on Facebook and join the group. But it's it's on there. But do um, feel free to chat on the group if you can't find it. Um, how often do you create campaigns? Maybe I missed it. So this is an interesting one. Um, we've had a process around campaigns. Um, oh, okay, well, then you do have Facebook, so we will just, where would you like us to share it with you? Maybe, maybe just, um, you just send it on LinkedIn or I can just send the link now if it will work. Yeah, if you can do you it. Can the link. If that works, let me know. If it doesn't, I'll send it to you on, uh, on LinkedIn. Let's connect. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, What's the question? Yeah, campaigns. So maybe I'll give you I'll give you the floor, Fran, because you've, oh, you've, you've had the grey hairs on this. 
Oh, so we came up with a very shiny new approach to campaigns and how can we run them? And I spent a long time on the structure. Um, it was, yeah, we were going to run them every six to eight weeks. Um, and yeah, that, that was kind of the thing. And we'd come up with a topic and we'd be like, right, we're going to speak about this topic for six to eight weeks. And um, we're going to run that campaign and we're going to stop, stop, start or continue it after this six to eight weeks. I think because we didn't really know how it was going to play out, it was probably um, the thought process was probably a little bit over-engineered now looking back. And what we found was we ran a campaign on the sales side, which um, didn't do quite as well as we'd hoped. But then we did on a campaign on the marketing side, which was B2B marketing doesn't have to be boring and it exceeded like all expectations. Um, and since we've actually been working on a new framework, we've, come to the conclusion that instead of running um, these, like we called them spotlight campaigns, what we actually want to do is spend time working on a strong, strong point of view. And the content is actually driven by that as opposed to these like isolated campaigns. So the B2B Boring narrative actually, the B2B Boring spark actually rolls into a strong point of view. And it's something that we continue to do and that's always on. Um, so I would say my advice now would be, if I was doing this again, I would actually work within this framework in regards to what's the overall narrative, what are the strong points of view we want to convey, what types of content um, fit, what kind of topics fit within those points of view, and then how we can we activate this. And it's almost like, and what's the payoff of doing that? So how much resource does it take to activate a type one versus a type three? Um, and once you kind of start thinking about that and working within that framework, it becomes a lot easier instead of putting all your eggs in one basket in like into an isolated spotlight campaign and like hoping that it works. Um, and then also it goes back to that whole mindset shift of like always on to everyone all the time rather than like, like why only six to eight weeks today when we think back to it, like yeah. we just picked that right time frame. We were like, and then we might continue it. And the thing was the B2B Boring campaign kept resonating so we kept it on and we were like this is an always on narrative now so um yeah you kind of got both sides of the coin you got this other campaign that flopped sorry tim it didn't <laughs> flop it was really good but it just didn't take off in the same way as the as the boring campaign um and we had yeah and anyway that some of that was was really not any anyone's fault but there there are but then, and then at the same time we had this other campaign which we were like well, why would we ever turn this off and so it became like an always on piece that was just we just happened to have this spark that wasn't like really resonating with our audience and so yeah I think going forward we're now going to really minimize the risk of any campaign flopping ever because we're not a going to really have campaigns but we'll have these sparks and, the, and then we'll just like double down the ones that are really resonating in the same way we have with the boring campaign and therefore you kind of mitigate that risk um, so I think that's how we're thinking about it. And I think it's going to be much more successful. Definitely. And I think that the key element that was missing was the point of view, the strong point of view in the first place. And I think if you start with that, then creating the content becomes much easier um, as opposed to just trying to come up with the, what did I always call them? Themes. Come up the with themes. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, hope that answers it. Um, okay. I think we've, we've done all the questions now. We've worked out. JobSpec's going to have to be delivered through LinkedIn. And for everyone else, if you do yeah. watch it, it's on Facebook in the docs section. So amazing. Thanks, guys, for another great episode. And thank you, everyone, for listening. And probably see you in the new year now. Yeah. Thanks, Can you say Merry Christmas yet? Is it too early? I don't know. I feel like it's too Have a great Christmas, everyone. <laughs> <laughs>